Pachango. Drinking tea, yo. <clears throat> How is everybody? What's happening out there in the world? I'm sorry if I grossed you out with that gurgling. Uh, <clears throat> it just occurred to me that that would be a really creative way to open this episode. This is what we're calling the break episode. Um, Kyle coined that term uh, because this is kind of like the second part of the conversation I had with Kyle Tierman a couple uh, weeks ago. Um where we finally get around to talking about the things that we were intending to talk about when we started, uh, which is involves all sorts of things, uh, ranging from letting your girlfriend um, <clears throat> and or wife decide what kind of hairdo you should have, to whether science reporting encourages magical thinking and actually results in conspiracy type consciousness um, because <clears throat> in my experience, science reporting is always promising that something is just around the corner, free energy, um, you know, the cure for cancer, uh, you know, some amazing scientific breakthrough is always about to happen. And uh, anyway, we talk about that. <clears throat> and, um, and then we talk a lot about Kyle's experience of, uh, and mine of, of sort of dealing with heartbreak and um, relationships that um, run their course in one way or another and leave us wondering what the hell, uh, how are we going to go on after this? And uh, so that's why we call it the break episode, uh, because the previous time I had Kyle on a couple of years ago, I guess, he was uh, going through the sort of end of his first serious relationship. And it's a funny thing that, you know, because it kind of, it doesn't really matter when it happens, I think. I, maybe there are differences. Uh, I'm not sure. But I, I think that the first... Uh, breakup is uniquely devastating. <clears throat> Just like first love is uniquely um, powerful in some ways, I guess. Uh, you know, there's that Madonna song. Feels like the very first time. Is it? Is that the Madonna song, or is it like a virgin? You know, same thing. Um, because you know, the first time you go through something like that. <clears throat> even if you're old enough to know better, there's part of you, um, because the experience has been unique, it's your first serious relationship. So you don't have anything to compare it to. You've only had this one experience. It's kind of unavoidable that some part of you is thinking, this is it. This is the one and only time I'll ever feel this because Based on my experience thus far, this has been the first 
and only time I've ever felt this. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, there's some things that even understanding them doesn't mean that you have integrated that understanding into your awareness. Um, examples of that would be <clears throat> the first time I went scuba diving, open water, um, you know, there was, I understood that the tanks were pressurized and that the regulator would allow me to breathe the oxygen and, you know, being underwater didn't mean I was going to drown, right? I understood that intellectually. But my entire biological being just didn't believe it. And so until I was actually underwater breathing and proved to my body and my millions of years of evolutionary experience that I could in fact breathe underwater. Uh, until that moment, there was just this disconnect between what my intellect understood and what my being accepted. Uh, same thing the first time I went rock climbing and I was roped in and, you know, I was like whimpering in fear because I thought if I fell, I would die. Now I knew intellectually that I was roped in. I knew that I would fall, you know, four or five inches or whatever, and maybe scrape my knee and I would not in fact die. But until I rappelled down the cliff and felt the rope hold my weight, my being didn't believe what my intellect understood. So I'm sure you can think of many examples of that in your own life, right? Where your being is like, no, dude, you're going to die. This is the end. You're you know, in this crisis and your intellect is going, no, I'm on a fucking roller coaster. Like, I'm not going to die. And I think that's what the end of a relationship is like that first time. Um, your intellect understands, like, I'll be okay. I'll get through this. I'll, you know, or, or getting fired from a job or, you know, whatever crisis it is, our bodies are reacting as if this is the end. Um, and our intellect understands it isn't. And, and bringing those two things into alignment is one of the, the great challenges of life. And one of the few things that uh, gets better as you get older, I think. You know, I remember talking with my dad at some point and sort of asking him, you know, what what's the best advice you ever got or, you know, words of wisdom or whatever. And he, he said, this too shall pass. I think that's, I don't know if that's Socrates or Shakespeare or <clears throat> who phrased it that way, but this too shall pass. Like, yeah, everything, everything passes, including us, including me, including my dad, including everybody, every crisis, every joy, everything. It all flows. Um, all right. So on that cheery note, <laughs> let's. Uh, I wrote a thing recently. If you don't read my Substack, if you're just a podcast listener, I published a thing recently that that's gotten a fair bit of attention. Um, it's a response to uh, a tweet thread by a woman named who calls herself. Uh, Aella, uh, I'm not sure how she pronounces it. 
Um, but she's a, she's a really interesting woman. She's a, sort of an intellectual sex worker. She's kind of a female version of me in some ways. Like if I were a hot young woman, what would I be doing? I'd have an OnlyFans account. Pretty sure. Sorry if that gives you a weird image in your head. Um, but she likes to think about sex. She likes to explore sex. She's, you know, very um, sort of committed to understanding and, and sort of exploring you know, investigating that, that part of life. Anyway, she wrote a, a tweet thread recently, uh, in which she said, basically all men are werewolves. Um, you know, even guys who seem like nice, responsible, uh, paragons of virtue. Once they get in a sexual situation, they turn into these weird groping monsters. Um, Anyway, so I, I wrote something, uh, some thoughts that were provoked by that. And um, yeah, people are finding that uh, interesting, I guess. So check out my Substack, chrisryan.substack.com. Uh, that's, that one's not behind a paywall. It's open, so anybody can read it. Of course, if you enjoy these things, I always encourage you to subscribe to Substack. Make me look good to the powers that be. Uh, and, um, yeah, Substack's a pretty awesome place. Um, okay. What else? 30% off all swag, uh, till the end of the year. I had no idea how many of you were just waiting for a sale to jump in there. I thought we had sold all the t-shirts we were going to sell. My mom was like, Chris, I got hundreds of t-shirts here. What are we going to do? I said, mom, I think everybody who wants a t-shirt has bought one by now. I don't, I don't think there's pent up demand for more civilized to death t-shirts. I was wrong. My God. She said, she said she sent out like 40 packages last week or something. So I guess you, you were just waiting for that big sale or maybe it's a Christmas thing. I don't know. In any case, pretty much everything in mom's swag shop is 30% off until the end of the year. So you got another two weeks, roughly. Get in there and order your t-shirts, your beer koozies, your stickers, your tangentially reading books, um, your Sex at Dawn shirts and hoodies, and your 96.9% Bonobo shirts. All sorts of stuff is on sale, 30% off. And it was already cheap. And we're not really making money on any of this stuff. Uh, and at this point, we're probably losing money. But it's worth it to free up some space in mom's closet. So 30% off. Uh, go to thatchrisryan.com. You'll see the store tab and you'll find everything there. All right. I think I'm going to leave it at that and just jump into this conversation with the great Kyle Tierman. Thank you for listening no commercials other than mom's swag shop. And um, that's it. Uh, sending out a lot of appreciation to all of you. This episode, there's no bonus content. The whole thing is free for everyone. Uh, I appreciate your attention, appreciate your time, and I hope things are going great for you out there. So last time we talked, which was just a few days ago, Afterwards, you you sent me a text and you're like, oh, man, as soon as we start recording, I thought of all these things we didn't cover. And I was actually having the same thought because 
uh, we had sort of discussed a few topics, but as often happens, we just go off on the things that we're talking about and, you know, <laughs> and then an hour and a half has passed and exactly. often it's not, it doesn't even feel like the best shit. Like it, it feels like it takes an hour to just get through, like digest catching up. And yeah. then there are some things that you actually want to talk about. Well, that's part of the uh, the issue with using a podcast with your friends as a way to catch up. <laughs> it's right. like, is this just us talking or is this is this for, you know, public consumption? And and the beauty of podcasting is that that line is often very amorphous. And, and that's that's a good thing about it, you know. Um, but since this is uh, for public consumption and bonus material does include a video component i have to ask you what the fuck happened to your head my head my girlfriend happened to my head you did that was i was i wearing a beanie last time because over the past three months my uh my girlfriend yeah. has taken to being my primary barber and uh. slowly she's whittled down the sides of my head while yeah. making no no effort to restrain the back so yeah so you uh, end up with a barbaric haircut yeah yeah Barber. there it's it is a full-on mullet these days you're, yeah i like it you're going theo vaughn huh trying to i'm i'm doing my best i'm getting a lot of comments about it but i'm holding strong i uh it's keeping the back of my neck very warm do you, do you know the story yeah. about when i basically had an anti-mullet where everything was long except the black the back no <laughs> this was years ago i was visiting casilda and i were visiting uh our friends in spain and my ex peggy and her husband nacho and cassie and i were somewhere and this was kind of at the height of my sex at dawn like flash in the pan fame shit and they were on and these are three people who like i love as much as anybody in the world right and and i know they love me and they've got my best interest at heart and they're all way better looking than me and way more aware of clothing and fashion and hairstyle and all that kind of shit right these are like three people who moisturize and yeah <laughs> the only three you know who <laughs> the moisturize. Only three in my life and all three of them are like Chris, man, you need to like change your look, you know, like you don't look like the cool alternative hip dude you are. You just look like some straight, you know, whatever standard issue dude. And I'm like, hey, I just don't know how to think about this shit. And like every time I try to like get involved in my image, I make a mess of it. And they're like, just leave it to us. Just let us tell you. And like, as an expression of love and trust, I said, okay. And this was like, uh, must've been like July. Expression of love and trust. I said, okay. I put myself oh, in your so hands. Good. And so all three of them were like, you need to like, let your hair grow. You need to have long hair. Cause you're like that kind of, and I'm like, yeah, my hair, it just like, when it's long, it just gets really weird. No, no, you just don't know how to do this and that. And anyway, so. This is late summer and we end up making a deal. And I say, okay, you guys, I'll let you do whatever you want to my hair until my birthday, which is in February. 
And once that, once I come to my birthday, I'm taking back control. So if I don't like it, my veto kicks in then. Okay. So, so it's all about how I have to let my hair grow long. But the thing about my hair is it's thin on the top, right? Cause I'm at this point, you know, 50 years old or something and it's really thick. And so as it grows, it, it starts going bozo. It, it gets triangular, you know? And so Casilda saying like, yeah, you just have to get through this phase and then the <laughs> weight of the hair will pull it down straight and you can like do this Bill Maher comb back kind of look, you know, also I got the bald spot going on in the back. So we're like letting it grow long and like combing back over the bald spot and all this. Anyway, dude, it just gets more and more ridiculous i don't know if you've seen photos of me but like i had the fucking like little dumbass ponytail in the back (laughs) trying to manage this fucking mess oh it was so horrible and start looking like an acoustic guitarist who lives in portland (laughs) in a basement apartment dude you're you're telling the exact story of what's happening to me right now kendall my girlfriend and my housemate charlie who is very designer aware of his looks thinks about this shit yeah i so i was just gone for for a couple weeks kendall and charlie are friends i walk in the door kendall informs me that she and charlie made a fucking pinterest board of Kyle's new look. Oh God. They collaborated on a Pinterest board because that's the same shit. I'm like, I don't care. I haven't thought about this. I have always just dressed in Patagonia clothes because they, they sponsor me. (laughs) So I like always look, I always look like I'm going on a hike and I have since I was 18 and I'm like, I'm not going to buy new clothes. I realize this is a very lucky situation that I'm in, but it has, restricted me to like constantly looking like I'm about to go hike the PCT. Um, And they're like, you need something more alternative. You're, you know, you, we need you to get into this creative phase in your life. So I've handed over uh, the haircutting to, to Kendall and, and I like it. Honestly, I've just, I've hated going to the barber my whole life. Uh-huh. And and it was only a few years that I did that because before I moved away, I let my dad ET cut my hair, and he used a floby. Do you know, know what a floby is? Yeah, it's a suck cut. You remember from Wayne's World? Well, it mm. certainly does suck. So it's a it's a tube that attaches to a vacuum cleaner, oh. and there's a spinning blade at the top, uh-huh. and you can adjust the tube to how long you want the haircut so from the time people started cutting my hair to like my mid-20s i would just go over to my dad et's house and he would he would flow be my hair um so yeah barber the barber shop came into my life very late and i never really enjoyed it so i'm very happy to be uh you know doing these uh these homegrown handcrafted uh boutique haircuts yeah now yeah Yeah, small batch 
Well, I hope yours uh, works out better than mine because what happened with me was I remember I was invited to speak on a Fox affiliate like morning show in San Diego (laughs) on Valentine's Day because I had written a book about non-monogamy, right? And I go down there and I do my bit and I'm back in the green room and the monitor's like on a delay. So it's showing what happened 10 minutes ago and it's me out there on TV. And dude, no offense to anyone, but I look like an old lesbian. I was so like, that is not the look I was going for. It was so fucked up. So then I go, we go back home and I'm telling uh, Casilda, like uh, this, I, my birthday's yesterday. Like it's time for me to call in my veto. And I'm like, this has to go. And she says, no, no, you just need to cut the back so you can <laughs> comb the sides into the space and then you'll, you'll be fine. Right. So, all right. She convinces me again. So she, we get home and she cuts the back. So now I've got short hair in the back, long hair on the sides, like kind of curly, frizzy bozo. I look like some kind of like Hasidic Jew kind of thing with the things. Rusty coming. the clown. Rusty the clown. <laughs> I don't know what. And then the next day she's going to some conference or something. I drop her off at LAX. And as soon as I drop her off, I look at my phone and I'm like, you know, barbershops near me. All right. And one comes up and it's got 4.5 stars or whatever. I'm like, good enough. I go straight there. I walk in and it's all black dudes. Cause it's near the airport. LAX is like a black neighborhood. And I'm like, and I was like, uh, they're like, you're you know, probably six, in Inglewood. Six black dudes sitting there and two black dudes cutting hair. And I said, do you cut like white people's hair? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, come on in. And I'm wearing a hat and he says, take off your hat. So we see what you got. I take the hat off and everybody starts laughing and like guys are falling out of their chairs laughing <laughs> at my hair. And he says, what happened to you? I was like, oh man, my wife cuts my hair. He's like, your wife cuts your hair. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Yeah. Oh so. fuck. That's so good. Yeah. It did. Well, it changes. I never had an appreciation for how much, hair changes the way you look like but i just growing up i was just like cool it's hair it doesn't matter but it really does affect like the way people see you rather quickly and it's this very like moldable part of the human body that i just have no uh i have no like sense of what would look good so yeah, my girlfriend has great style, and now I do too because I have a, <laughs> I have a mullet. Keep telling yourself that, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, so we've we've just spent I don't know how much time talking about something we had no intention of talking about. This is what happens, Kyle. We need to focus. This is the good stuff. This is we the need good to stuff. focus. We need to consult our notes and and stick to a map. You know. Okay. Um, well, what do you want to talk about? Well, you sent me a list. Let's let's declare show our cards here. Uh, 
We've got uh, breakups and falling in love because I believe you said the last time you were on my podcast, you were like in the throes of romantic collapse. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Uh, Selena Cruz story I reported in Mexico for Patagonia. That's good. And yeah. uh, learning Spanish with free, three phrases per day. Let's talk about that first. So you're learning we could Spanish. do that. There, yeah, there's one more that I ha- I don't think I've told talked about. I made friends with a, a homeless woman last year. Uh, you wrote and, something about that, and you? I wrote a I wrote a story about it. Yeah, Her name's Sally that. Jones, which is uh, uh, I w- we could talk about that too because I think that befriending um, befriending homeless people has been it's it, if I look back at my time in L.A. that relationship is one of the major things that I'll remember because it was just, it's this woman who was on my route whenever I would go to the grocery store. And uh, it was just a, it was just a cool little relationship. So we can talk about that if there's time too. Yeah. Whatever you want. Take it away. Um, You want to talk about her first? Well, I, I think that, uh, so there's this woman, right? Her name's Sally Jones, and she's probably in her 70s, and she lives on Lincoln and Rose. And for people who know West L.A., Lincoln is this thoroughfare street. It's very like a lot, very industrial, a lot of businesses, a lot of traffic. And whenever I would go to the grocery store, I would walk by her and she would always be reading a book. And there's something about homeless people. I, and I see this often where homeless people are like they're reading books and you don't see that very often. Like, you just don't see that many people reading books. And she was always reading a book. So one day I stopped and I was like, oh, well, what are you reading? Um, and uh, she told me she was reading a crime novel. And we just developed this like very cool friendship where every time I would go by, I would say hi to her and we would talk about books um and it turned out it was it was interesting because she i think had a, a, a some amount of schizophrenia um and what I'm trying to figure out how, how the best way to tell this story because what it came to was that she was a staunch republican who hated democrats and she like her whole life was set up trying to keep Trump in power. Like that was her uh, fantasy of some kind. And it was a very, like the dynamic was so interesting because she had kind of justified the situation that she was in because of, she said, because of Democrats and Trump was trying to take down the shadow government. And, uh essentially like get her out of her situation but it was kind of it was what was fascinating to me was that she had all of these kind of proclivities towards conspiracy and um it was just my my mom and my stepdad are also very into the same kinds of conspiracies right so which has caused this kind of 
an interesting fracture in our relationship and like trying to understand it. But there was something, there's something about those conspiracies that has captured a large portion of the American public, including this, this homeless woman named Sally. And it's been, uh, I don't know, I think in some ways a, a challenge and a, a challenge and an exercise in trying to maintain like friendship and humanity with people that have a completely different base reality as Mm. you and sort of where you can continue to align. So we would just talk about books like all the time and then soon. And then every time in the conversation, it would spin off into conspiracy. But yeah, it was, I don't know. It was, it was interesting because my mom prior to, getting into kind of what I would consider more conspiratorial lines of thinking ran a homeless shelter. She was the first uh, person in Santa Cruz to start a homeless teen center. Right. And she helped just a ton of people through that. So it was like, it was a f- uh, interesting in that, like I felt in some ways, like I was learning more about my relationship with my mom through the relationship with this woman, Sally. And yeah, I wrote right. a story about it. I can share it. Uh, but yeah, what do you what do you reckon about that? Well, yeah, it's definitely something um, that seems to be growing in importance as <clears throat> time goes on. the The ability to interact with people whose perspective on reality is fundamentally different from one's own. Right? I I feel like because there's this schism happening um which may be due to social media or or to fucking some chemical in the water supply or you know just anxiety increasing anxiety tends to make the you know cracks widen in in our foundational understanding of reality whatever's causing it people do seem to be diverging from any kind of consensus reality and so you know in lieu of being able to agree on consensus reality which doesn't seem to be happening i guess the only recourse is to learn to to not to not expect that you know to be able to move forward and just accept like okay you think the earth is flat i mean i would love to be able to have a serious conversation with someone who actually truly believes the earth is flat and isn't just a total lunatic um not and this is something you know, it, as you get older, it's always tempting to say, well, because I'm older now, I see this. But you never know. Is it because you're older or is it just because the world has changed? You know, as you got older, the world did, too. And so but one thing that. That um, I feel much less need to. um, Like talk about my perspective and mm. i'm i'm much more willing to just listen to someone else's perspective and learn from it not learn i was talking with someone about this recently i forget i, f- I forget who it was but we were talking about 
a sense of contagion um, that people feel. And in my experience, it's something I felt when I was younger, that if someone was talking about something that was truly, from my perspective, ridiculous, I felt threatened by it somehow. I felt like if I don't speak up and tell this person they're full of shit, then somehow it's going to affect me, you know? Um, and whereas now I kind of feel like I don't really have a responsibility to do that because you can say whatever you want to say. It's not going to really affect my worldview. So it's a strange thing. Like, you know, like if you're hanging out um, with somebody and they say something racist or misogynistic or anti-Semitic or, you know, just fucking ignorant in, in any one of a million ways, do you feel a need to say, hey, you're wrong about that? Or well, are I, you content just sitting back and saying, okay, let's talk about something else? Yeah. I I think that there's a certain, I feel a certain responsibility to that, but I also don't know how helpful it is. If if that person is is ignorant and they say something stupid, telling them so could educate them in the way that I feel like I'm uh, fumbling my way through language all the time. And there are just certain things that I don't know. And if a person can explain that to me, I'm, I'm fairly open to it, but right. uh, uh, Yeah. And I, but a person who's anti-Semitic or racist or whatever probably isn't open to it. Right. That's why they're still spouting this nonsense at, at this point in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think it is probably a younger person thing because I still have that, you know, I'm s- sort of writing a book about this relationship with my mom right now through mm. the lens of interviewing her. Right. Um, and trying to come to a greater understanding and finding my that really is it right like how do i find some sense of understanding and greater connection while not sharing the same worldview right and uh when it comes to stuff like um you know easily for me what i see is easily falsifiable conspiracies it has been it has felt worth it for me to say what how i see there being a flaw in that logic otherwise it can i think often just embolden that way of thinking like for example like with with free energy which is one of the conspiracies that has kind of taken hold which is this idea that there are these machines that can that can produce energy from the fabric of space and they can produce more energy than they take in. So there's, there is a, uh, an inefficient, there is an efficiency level of above 100% on these devices. And the theory goes that aliens have brought this technology down to earth and, uh, inventors have figured out a way to um 
basically use the the um, information from crop circles to turn these this code into energy and the easily falsifiable thing is that that violates the second law of thermodynamics um which is something that was helpful for me to learn about uh that you you can't have a an above 100% efficiency level on anything because it takes energy to to put into a device and then release it so I've had those conversations with my mom and sometimes it's helpful and then sometimes we'll hit a dead end. Um, yeah. But I mean, just to play devil's advocate, uh, a lot more energy comes out of a nuclear explosion than goes into mm, it. Yeah. So right. that, that law is subject to, uh, you know, context because I guess a physicist would say that there is energy contained within the atoms. And once you insert sufficient energy to split the atom, then that creates a chain reaction and that energy is released. So there is energy dormant in the universe that could be released. And, and we have examples of that. Um, right. But anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to get into physics. Fuck, but it's right. You're right. The thing is, yeah. Okay, so we're talking to a flat earther or somebody who thinks, you know, that there's free energy and that you know Exxon doesn't want us to have access to it. Um, but what about somebody who thinks Jesus died for our sins? Do you feel a responsibility to set them straight? No, because enough people believe that myth. Ah, so it's all about critical mass. <laughs> I, I suppose so. And I do think that it all depends on how much of a good time do you want to have with this person, right? <laughs> you trying to get laid or what? <laughs> well, or just <laughs> how on. far, how long do Mr. we want to linger Mary? on these subjects, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah, well, I, but no, you're right, and and different. I'll just say I, I I didn't do a very good job explaining the theory. I didn't feel like I seal manned the free energy theory, which is why I'm still kind of digesting it in my own mind. And this is a, a first draft of thought put out to you. Yeah, it's. I mean, those things are are complicated. I you know because because there are manifestations of this same kind of thinking that are totally acceptable in in mainstream thought right nuclear fusion we've right. how many times have we seen you know someone has you know created a fusion reaction and they got more energy out than was put in and then it turns out oh no one can replicate it it didn't maybe really happen it was the machines weren't calibrated right or whatever I mean, I've seen that happen four or five times in my lifetime, you know, in my since right. I've been aware of these things. And, and you know, every every few months I read something in the mainstream media about, oh, my God, just today I read something about like white hydrogen or something like white hydrogen could be the future of energy. And, you know, you keep hearing these like, oh, we may have uh, it's just around the corner. Like, yeah, yeah. So is the cure for cancer. And, you know, every fucking other thing has been around but just around the corner since i can remember so that that kind of like tendency toward magical thinking i think is actually encouraged uh in mainstream science reporting and so it's no surprise that there are people on the fringe who are like no it's already happened you know because they've been told their whole lives it was about to happen so 
Totally. Well, because yeah. it makes a good story. Yeah. And the power of story is so overwhelming, right? The power, the narrative power is superior to factual power. And I think we're, we're learning that more and more and control of the narrative is, uh, whoever wins. Yeah. Well, and how yeah. do you control a narrative when everyone's got access to social media and any fucking dipshit can start a podcast and start telling people, you know, what's real? Um, yeah. You know, present company included. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I think, you know, getting back to your, your question earlier, I think it's really an important skill to be able to be in the presence of someone whose worldview is radically different from yours, including psychosis. Right. And, and I do feel, I remember going to the first time Casilda took me to uh, the psychiatric hospital where she was working. And uh, you know, it was hardcore, high security, double door, bulletproof glass kind of you know you're on lockdown and she was so at ease with these people who were you know like stark raving crazy um and it impressed the hell out of me because i was just like i i didn't know how to act i didn't know how to speak i didn't know who to look in people's eyes or look away from them or i just had no bearings uh when i entered that room with you know i remember there was this like lady on her back like a crab or something like you know and she had like a nightgown on and yeah and it was like and i was just horrified and stunned and and casilda just laughed at her and she's like maria what are you doing on your back get up and go have your breakfast you crazy girl and i mean her thing would be <laughs> She just laughed. Even yeah. when we saw someone in the street, you know, we'd walk by in, in New York and some guy would just be like, and, and she would laugh. She'd look at him and laugh, which in my, you know, from my perspective is the last thing you should do. Right. And the guy would like laugh back. Like they were in on the joke together. And I remember saying to her, like, why do you laugh at these people? And why are they laughing back? Like, what's going on? And she said to me, like, she said, schizophrenics know they're crazy. There's part of them that's not crazy. And they're watching themselves jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and talking to someone who isn't there. And when I laugh, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm relating to the part of them that's not crazy. And when they laugh back, they're like, oh. Yeah, you see me in here. You realize I'm not totally nuts. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's she's, powerful. That yeah. is so wise. And she yeah, loves and working with psychotics. She doesn't like neurotics. She likes she likes the people who we would think of as absolutely nuts, lost touch with reality. Those are the people she really feels comfortable with and and can help like no one I've ever seen before. Yeah, man, the power of laughter is, uh, I mean, it's cliche to say, but it's such a great connector 
because it doesn't matter what your worldview is or even language, right? You can laugh with someone who speaks a different language than you. Mm. And it's, it just immediately closes the distance. Um, yeah. And I do, I feel that too. I mean, and I also don't mean to, you know, talking about my mom and some, what I would consider conspiratorial minded thinking. I, she's very much not in the realm at all of, of psychotic, but she has a great sense of humor and very mm. often we can kind of come to a laugh, which is why like I've, I remember when I was thinking about what kind of a relationship do I want at the very top was a sense of humor. Right. Um, do you know about the Gottman ratio? John Gottman, who was mm, right. Yeah. The psychologist who would say that he could predict with relative accuracy, whether or not a couple would be together in five years by watching 10 minutes of video of them. So he would prompt a point of contention in their relationship. And he would say, um, okay, I want you to talk through this disagreement. And he said that if they had in that disagreement, five, uh, the, the ratio was like five positive things to say about each other for every one negative, then they would be together five years from, from them. And, Another factor was laughter. He said right. that when they were talking about a problem that they were having, one of them would make a joke, which he identified as a willingness to step outside of the argument. Mm -hmm. And just yeah. to your point that when Casilta would make a joke, it's a willingness to step outside of a certain reality. Right. Uh, and so often in relationships, you are a fight occurs because you don't you're not sharing the same perspective on what's happening and a joke is that offering to step outside and and see something new yeah. and yeah i remember i remember like my girlfriend has such a fucking good sense of humor and so often it creates this buoyancy that can as, as evidenced by your haircut as evidence you know my hair is more buoyant <laughs> Definitely. Whenever funny. we get into whenever we get into a, a fight, she's like, "I just can't take you seriously with that mullet." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, talking about your your lovely girlfriend, uh, let's talk about heartbreak. We could do that. Yeah, I th I th heartbreak is uh, is easily forgettable. Hmm. When you're in it, it feels so all-encompassing. And then when you're through it, it you f sort of forget that it ever happened. I remember reading a quote. I don't remember who it was. It was some famous British writer. He said, heartbreak is like seasickness. When you're feeling yeah. it, you, you can't feel anything else. But your friends are all kind of looking at you going, oh, boy. There goes Kyle. He's Ralphing again over the railing you know like he'll be all right he'll get through it but and then yeah. the second but you feel like you're gonna die yeah <laughs> when you're in it you feel like you're gonna die and then you get through it and uh you sort of you're like oh yeah that was a great boat trip that was fun <laughs> we had so much fun on, yeah. on there so the the tendency for humans to i think also while you're in heartbreak see a relationship as uh, through rose colored glasses is fascinating to me 
um, you know, someone recommended when I was going through that to write down all the reasons that that relationship was hard because you'll forget them when you're in the throes of heartbreak and you'll only remember the sweet positive moments. And I remember I would, I would look back and read this journal entry that I'd made of all of the, the ways in which I felt we were not compatible to remind myself yeah. w- what it was like going through it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I will say that so I was in a relationship for for many years uh and we broke up it was the first real major heartbreak of of my life and and it lasted a while I mean that's the thing is with heartbreak is you kind of think you're through it and then all of a sudden it comes back in these waves of grief um and I you know I've talked about it often but I did a big road trip for like six months and i felt like that was it's very helpful to get out of a the physical situation that you were in Mm. because when you're going through it all of a sudden everything reminds you of that person right Uh, you know you're like oh god like this the freaking sink all of a sudden reminds you of like washing dishes together (laughs) you're like i can't even be around my sink anymore um (laughs) But uh, the sink, the triggered by sink. the sink. Well, speaking of changes and road trips, what's up? You you decided to sell Starflight. I did. I did. Well, I I got Starflight uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and did that road trip, which served a wonderful purpose for. And I'm just not using it as much as I need to be to hold on to it but i can i can just say that dude having an rv is the best thing ever and it and living out of one for a period of your life is like so fucking fun you just it you get becoming a minimalist having the freedom like oh my god it's just such a good it's such a good time and it served its purpose for what i needed to do through that moment in my life um well i gave you a signal boost on instagram uh, i appreciate it yeah we have we have some people coming to check it out good despite the fact that your little ad included a dig at sprinters which i took very personally uh you know and i need that's a bone to be picked here what the fuck? Sprinter sprinter owners will find that the RV has much more space. Oh, it's so much better than a fucking it, Sprinter. Yeah. It does. Sprinters are a ripoff. Fuck. Yeah. Sprinters are such they a ripoff. You got to build. You need to build them out uh, all yourself. They're more claustrophobic than RVs. If you're actually looking for, you know, what to buy cost effectively, Sprinters are way overpriced because they're trendy. Well, yeah, they're also a much better vehicle than than the Ford, you know, F-150 chassis or whatever you get with that. Um, but, yeah, I think the new Sprinters, you know, since it's become fashionable, I do think, you know, people are spending 250 grand on a built-out Sprinter. It's fucking nuts. It's insane. Yeah. And a lot, and the resale market for RVs is a lot better because a lot of people buy them and then, like you, use them for a year or two. And then they're like, eh, that's just sitting in the driveway. Let's get rid of it. 
So yeah, it's much, I, I do think economically it's better. The thing I, one thing I love about the Sprinter is I can park on any street and nobody knows I'm in there. Whereas an RV, it's like, eh, it's a little riskier to park that on a city street. People think you're selling math. There are benefits to being in a sleek, <laughs> cherry red Scarlet Johansson. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, is, is it like the end of an era for you? Do you feel like that? I guess it wasn't part of the breakup vibe or was it? I mean, it for like- sure was. No, okay. I, I did. I think that it's uh it is a metaphor for sure. Uh, I mean, how cliche of me to go through a breakup, buy an RV and do a, an eat, pray, love journey around the American West while attempting to become a writer. Could have been um, a motorcycle. Be- yeah. Uh, the road again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's i but my relationship with stuff has always been if if you're not using it give it to someone who is going to uh i've never felt any kind of like deep connection to holding on to things that don't have a use for me Mm. but the rv is the rv is a little bit different just in that I spent so much time in this space as I was going through such a growth period in my right. life, really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So right. it was a, a place of a lot of solitary thought. And because it was such a small space, there wasn't a lot of distraction from that thought. Uh, so everything from just the the amount of time I spent writing in that RV to the podcasts recorded, it d- it does feel like a certain level of my like my psyche did a whole generation within that space, um, which is uh, it's it's you know touching and heartfelt. Maybe I should maybe I should write a love letter to Starflight before we part our ways. Or, or compose a song. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice having, I mean, it's pretty late in life for you to be going through your first heartbreak. I'm sort of a kid in that way. Like, I think that I in have uh, been fairly, uh, in some ways, I think I've had a lot of, experiences and a lot of travel and have seen a lot of countries and but I do think that I've I arrived uh late to the party with a lot of things that most people go through younger from like yeah. getting a re- getting a real job to going through a heartbreak um I'm realizing that about myself but um whatever it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and there's no judgment in that, you know, you're, you're very lucky in some respects. Uh, you know, I went through my first serious heartbreak at 15, 16, maybe something like that. Um, you know, and it was devastating. Yeah, I think that the ha- the, uh, the, the miss of not going through something like that sooner is that I had no context for how much pain is normal or what a good relationship is because i had very few other experiences to compare it to 
and I think that that's one of the benefits of saying yes to more experiences generally as a philosophy in life is that it gives you more things to compare it to. Like the the greatest pain you've ever felt is the greatest pain you've ever felt until you feel something more, the happiest you've ever felt or the best friend you've ever had yeah. is the the best one you've had until a new one comes along. Right. right. So if you if you are only hanging out with the the crew that you were spending time with in fifth grade and you never go beyond that, those are the best friends you've ever had, even if they might not be very good friends. You know, so that's yeah. I, I think one of the benefit of having more experiences. And for me, the 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 biggest question that I had in my mind and the hardest conversation internally that I would have is like is it like, I love this person. So does that mean we should be together? Right. Right. Rather than here are these incompatibilities and looking at it more, looking at any situation more logically. um, Well, that was hard for me. Yeah. I I think that's such a crucial understanding um, that it's really hard to wrap your head around um you know just from from an intellectual perspective i i do think you need to go through it to really understand that love loving someone is not a reason to be together it's not a reason to share your life with them and that doesn't take anything away from love love is amazing beautiful incredible everything everybody says but it's not a reason to to build your life around you know, and I, I've talked about this on on my podcast several times. Like I, I kind of boil it down to three components, you know, uh, love, attraction, and compatibility. And when I was younger, I thought love was the rare one. I thought love was the one. If you find that, you better do everything you can to make the other two work because you might never find it again, Right. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, wait, no, love is everywhere. Love is all I love. I love almost everybody. I really know if I really, really know them, then you find, you know, compassion and understanding and love. And it's not hard to love somebody. Compatibility is the thing that's really rare and, and, you know, can't be forced Sure, Um, because it's and isn't going to grow over time either. Compatibility is not right. Love, right, right, and and even attraction will, you know, like because no matter how gorgeous the person is, after a while, it's just her. You know, you don't see every time you look at her, you're not like, oh my god, she's so beautiful. You notice it, but also if you come to love someone they become much more beautiful in your eyes. And that really is something that over time and with depth of experience, the, the attraction uh, is, is it changes, right? Yeah. If you admire someone and know them and, and see their struggles, you see beauty in them that maybe you didn't see when you just looked at a photograph or first met them. And, and love is is the same. It grows with with depth and knowledge and compassion, but not compatibility. Like you either you like to sleep with the window open or you don't. You like spicy right. food or you don't. You like to travel or you don't. 
Well, and what's funny about that is you you think that all that stuff is small. You're like, oh, well, that's that stuff shouldn't matter. That's kind right. of superficial. But like, I was I was talking to someone last night, and she she said, uh, I ha- I just met this couple, and she works from uh she works from like nine to five, and he works from. 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. They're on completely opposite schedules. Hmm. Like, how does how does that work? And I think that what you're talking about, like, how do you want to spend your day? What's what's your perfect Tuesday? What are the yeah. things that you want to do? What time do you wake up? What kind of food do you, do you have, like to eat? Do you like each other's friends? Yeah. No? Like, if you don't like her friends you don't want to like oh she's gonna go have coffee with a couple friends you want to come and you're like fuck no that's not good you know <laughs> that is definitely not a good sign yeah and suddenly yeah. you're spending your whole life contorting to do really basic things that this person likes to do that you don't like to do and vice versa and i remember like with my my girlfriend now we've been dating for almost two years now. I am constantly awed at how often we want to do basically the same thing around the same time. Fuck it. 7 p.m. Fuck it. Fuck and fuck and just fuck and then sleep and then <laughs> wow. fuck. You yeah. want to do that too? That's, That's so incredible, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably we're probably making people vomit in their mouths right now. But I, <laughs> where else are you going to vomit? But yeah, I do think that that uh, the 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 big steps and the little stuff, right? Like, what do you what do you like to do in a day? And yeah. is there another person who you could share that day with? Because life is just made up of a bunch of those days. It it comes down again. Some quote I read somewhere. Somebody said the key to a, a long, happy relationship is whether you just enjoy having breakfast together, right? Do you just, do you, do you make each other laugh getting back to your earlier point, which isn't I'm making you laugh. It's we find humor together, right? Like our energy right. together results in laughter. That's so important. Um Yeah. But but as far as overcoming, like so I imagine someone listening to this who is, let's say, in a position that you were in for a while, I've been in several times, where you kind of know in your heart this isn't this isn't right, this isn't working anymore. Um, but you love the person, right? Because you spent a lot of time together and you've built a life together and you have so much shared history and friends and and understanding but you know in your heart it's not right and and you have this and you have habits and routines that you've now built if you're living with the person so it seems like a herculean task to uproot yourself and find something that's completely new and unknown right do you did you learn anything from this that would make it do you any easier if you have to go through this again do you think yeah i think that uh 
I think that I made a mistake in thinking that I should be solitary and monastic and go through this pain alone, which I did. And, and, you know, getting the RV was great, but I spent a good part of COVID alone, uh, which I don't think is, is healthy. So I think that being around people and being, and being around new people is that was some of the best moments, you know? So, so whenever I would link up with a new group, uh, even just a new friend group of some kind, it was evidence to how big the world is. Right. So uh, when you go through a breakup, there are certain periods of time that you were spending with your partner that now you're spending do like, shit, what do I do now? We would always eat dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happens, either you usually will, you know, you'll, you'll call your old friends uh, or you'll figure out something new to do. So I think that once you've gone through the breakup, thinking what are these periods of time, these time slots or things that we would typically do together that I can fill with something new and novel and productive is remarkably useful. So finding new friends in those times and new activities is anything you can do to build evidence to this idea that the world is massive and exciting and limitless um, is a helpful technique. So in some ways, I think I did that. But in other ways, I think I also just spent way too much time alone and uh, whipped myself in self-loathing far more than was healthy. So there's so there's that. How much self-loathing is health, healthy? What, what's the limit? Yeah. 30%. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think that... Um, journaling is is also just really healthy to because you start to loop in these thought patterns um and i think that journaling is like a repository for just shitty thoughts that no one needs to read <laughs> so however many pages you need to get through is also a good uh i think it's a a sneakily profound technique mm. um but yeah man i mean i i i I would also you just get out of that situation that reminds you of them um because yeah the world's massive it's it's such a there are so many cool people to meet and whether or not you know and and I'll say that too like there's um and and you know my my girlfriend now is she's very uh into me like meeting new friends, trying new things. Like we really support each other in that we're, we're doing this life together, but we want to also, we, we recognize that we're individuated and that we want to go have all these experiences that are alone potentially. And uh, it doesn't just mean that we own all of each other's time. So I think that, there are relationships like when I was, when I was going through the breakup, like 
there were friendships that I made during that time that really felt so deeply, so deeply important to me. And I think we put, we, finding that person is really important, but also filling the qualities of that person potentially with multiple people um, is something that I, I put a lot of value in. Um, I think that we, our society in a lot of ways just overvalues like that one person rather than when I was on the road trip, like I found friends that would love to go on adventures or found friends that were super funny. I found, you know, a couple hookups with women who I, like filled a very deep role you know like it what we i think that we tend to undervalue those relationships like hey we're not boyfriend and girlfriend and we're in a we're we're having sex together and and we probably know this isn't going to go anywhere but like i think there's a tendency to look back on those relationships as shallow Mm. but for me i'm like no that fucking filled a really important piece that i needed at that time and i look back on those those friendships as you know with a lot of love and and reverence yeah i i think that in some ways those sorts of encounters um can be incredibly profound precisely because they're not happening within the rubric of you know, we may stay together and have kids and get married and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no. From the beginning, we know that's not what this is. So we can be really honest with each other here because I'm not really worried about you deciding you don't want me to be your boyfriend. I don't, I don't want to be your boyfriend. Like I'm not available to be your boyfriend. So we can be really honest with each other. I feel like that happens with travel as well. Like, you know, you're on a three year trip through Asia and you meet somebody in a cafe and, you know, he's headed to Tibet and you're headed to Thailand. You can have a conversation that's so fucking profound and you can really open your heart to someone precisely because, you know, this isn't part of a longer thing. This is it, you know? Yeah. Night's the night, baby. I think there's a Bob Seeger song about that. So what do you think about going through breakups and what is healthy in regards to having sex with other people after the fact and like duration? Because like, do you think it's healthy after three a breakup? Max. Three minutes, Three minutes. I'm just, she's out the door. Another one's yeah. you know, in the door. Yeah. yeah. Life is short. The best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. That kind of thing. I think different people, I think sex fulfills different roles for different people, you know, and and I think one of the mistakes we make repeatedly in our lives is to think that other people relate to things the way we do. And so, you know, you know, I think of my mother coming into my room and, or there's like a great Patrice Neal O'Neill bit where he's like sitting watching a game or something and his wife comes in and she's like, Oh, why is it so dark in here? Why why don't we open the windows? Isn't that better? No, isn't that better? Oh, it's really, it's cold in here. Let's turn on the heater. Isn't that better? Isn't that better? And (laughs) And he's like, you know, what the fuck? Like, no, it's not better. I had it the way I wanted it, you know? 
but we do that with, especially with people we love we're like hey this makes me feel better it'll make you feel better but often it it doesn't um so yeah i mean as far as sex i i mean for me sex is like the best distraction and it's also not only distraction it's also the best focuser it's like it's like meditative in a sense that it like really brings me into the present moment but for other people who have a lot of you know insecurities or hang-ups or you know trauma or whatever it could have precisely the opposite effect or just relate to sex in a different way yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. so who knows but I, I i'm often reminded talking about breakups and you know rose-colored rose-tinted glasses and all that stuff i often think of this quote um that nostalgia is memory without detail and i i try to think about that anytime i get um you know into grieving too much it's like there's no there's no negating the beauty and the love and all the all the positive stuff but we do tend to forget the negative stuff whether we're thinking about relationships or travel or you know whatever it is um and so i try to remind myself of that it's like what you said about going back and looking at your journal entry where you made a list like i've always done that i've in in relationships i've always written in my journal like okay i really love this woman but uh this and this seem like it could be a problem and this isn't working and this you know and um you know there's definitely something helpful about that so that later when you're going through the pain you can look back and say okay it wasn't perfect you know there were significant issues and and that's not to demonize the other person that's i think that's another mistake we make we say you know she wasn't good enough or she wasn't smart enough or she did this or she did that where in reality it's just you know I, you know i'm a size 10 and a half and if you try to put me in a size 9 it's going to hurt and that's not a bad shoe there's nothing wrong with that shoe you know it's just not for my foot and i think we get real judgmental about stuff yeah. and think that you know if she were better or smarter or funnier or whatever it would have worked and like that's not the issue it just doesn't fit and I feel like we need to hold on to that as well when we're feeling rejected or we're feeling like I didn't get that job or I didn't get that award or I didn't get that date or whatever it is. That doesn't mean you're not good enough. It's just not the right fit. And you're much better off sticking around till you find the right fit rather than trying to force yourself into the wrong fit. Dude, I was listening to a, a good podcast with Mark Norman. He was interviewed by Neil Brennan, um, and he was talking about his career. and And he's like, comedy was not working for me for like fifteen years. I was in L.A. and I was doing these monologues, and it wasn't like people. It was not working for me. And I was like, "Fuck, what am I going to do?" And I was doing these like little radio shows here and there and then podcasting came along and he was what he got on that really early and he said i have the ability of of empathy like if you come on my show i can see who you are and what your issues are automatically 
And that medium was so good for me Hmm. that I was able to build this thing. But had that medium not come along, I probably would have been a failed fucking comic. And here he is now. He has one of the most successful podcasts in the world. And it's just that he finally found the shoe that fit for him. Right. And if his comedy career had been a little bit more successful, he wouldn't have picked up podcasting when he did with as much desperation and enthusiasm and commitment as he did. Same thing with uh, Mark Marin, right? Like arguably one of the five biggest podcasts in the world. Wait, sorry. Did I say Mark Norman? I meant, meant Mark Marin. Oh, okay. no, sorry. That whole fucking story was. <laughs> yeah, Mark Norman's everyone. great. Mark Norman is great. Although, they both have great podcasts, but no, but no, Mark Marin yeah. was the one with the he he's the one who does the monologues and fucking and I don't think he has so much fucking empathy, by the way. You don't way. think so? I, I listened to his podcast. I just listened to him a couple of days ago when I was splitting wood in a manly fashion. Uh yeah, I I find he's he annoys me. He fucking he interrupts too much. He's he's like He's too, he's needy. He's emotionally so fucking needy. And, you know, and I, I don't know. He, yeah. I listen, I'd listen to his podcast no. sometimes, but um, well, he claims he's, empathetic. I don't think of him. Yeah, he, he so, does. So he, must he, he be, would know. Yeah. He must be. So here's, <laughs> here's another thing that I want to, I'm empathetic as fuck, bro. Yeah. Hear me out. Hey, shut up. Listen to my empathy. Yeah. Uh, here's, so here's another as like aspect of the breakup elephant as we blind mice feel our way through it um how to talk to a friend who's going through a breakup because it's a tough one you can easily make the mistake of you know having a friend who's going through a breakup and i mean i'll just speak speak personally I would be talking about the problems in my relationship and then, or, or through the breakup. And then a friend would be like, yeah, totally. She kind of sucked. And then you'd be like, fuck you. She was amazing. You know, like you have, there's a simultaneous trying to extract yourself from this person while feeling immensely protective of them with a lot of big emotions. And you can lose I think you can lose friends and uh, through that process if you're not careful. And I remember you, you and I had a conversation about it where you said, you because know, I came out and I hung out with you after that whole experience, and you, I felt were very uh, equanimous in just reflecting back to me what you heard without pushing your own narrative on it, which I found to be really wise because in that state like i think the analogy i used is like it's if you have a friend who's in the throes of a bad breakup it's a little bit like taking in a dog off the streets and you don't know if they're gonna attack you (laughs) because they're not they're not stable stable, like you're like they're like cool i want to come into your house and eat but they could very easily lash out and you could you could end you know you could fucking lose the friendship or they could very easily also come back and get back into that relationship and now all yeah. of a sudden you're on the fucking outs. Yep. 
I remember uh, I had a very tumultuous relationship in my 20s that was sort of off and on. And um, I remember one night, she and I in New York City, I remember we were in a bar in in um, Hell's Kitchen. We had gone out with this guy uh, named Len Belzer, who was probably in his 40s. He's he was Richard Belzer's brother, you know Richard Belzer, famous actor and stand up comedian. No, you would recognize him. Uh, Google him. He had like a very very tall, gaunt kind of uh, acne scars on his face. He's a like one of the like in inside group New York hardcore stand up comics. Um you know, like a little older than Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, but yeah. And then he was for years, he was on this show, like homicide, you know, the streets, what homicide, you know, detective unit, something. He was a very famous guy. Anyway, his brother was a good friend of mine in New York and we were in this bar and my girlfriend and I were sort of bickering and she goes to the bathroom and he just looks at me. He's like 20 years older than me, right? And and very smart guy. He was the guy who gave me finite and infinite games around the that time. He, he said, you, you need to read this book. Anyway, he just looked at me and he said, you know, Chris, a relationship cannot be built on an essential struggle. That's all he said. And she came back from the bathroom and everything went on. And I, at the time, I remember thinking like he's saying. He was just saying, like, you guys shouldn't be fighting so much or, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what he was saying. But that was 1986, probably five. And I still remember exactly the way he looked at me. And I still remember exactly what he said, because over the years, I've come to understand that what he was saying was, you know, sort of what you and I were talking about earlier, compatibility. You can't change it. You can't change it. You love Thai food. She doesn't. You can't fight about it. It's not going to change, you know? I mean, it could change through life. Things do change. But it's not going to change because you convince her that you're right. You know, it just isn't. And I think a lot of relationships are built on this essential struggle. And getting back to Finite and Infinite Games, the book that he gave me, and maybe he gave me that book because he was also trying to help me navigate this relationship. I remember one of the examples that Kars uses in that is, you know, so often we look at relationships as finite games where there's a winner and a loser and you put points up on the board and the game, you know, there, there are rules and, and there are boundaries and there's the field of play and there's outside of the field, there's fair and not fair. And all. he said, no, our relationship is an infinite game. The point is not to win. The point is to continue the game, right. To have fun while you're playing and to keep playing. Um, you know, which gets back to the essential struggle. A finite game is based on a, an essential struggle. I'm going to win. You're going to lose. It's a zero-sum process. Um, 
you know, so I, I feel like to, to get to address your question, I think, I think the key is when not to say, yeah, she sucked, you know, you're better off without her because what the fuck does anyone know? No one knows what the relationship is really like inside, except the two people who are there. And even they have vastly different views on what's going on. Right. I think the key is just to say, I see what you're saying and yeah, you guys like different things and you seem to have kind of different, you know, values and appetites and expectations and, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's nobody's better or worse. It's just, if, if you feel like your paths are diverging, you know, I support you and, and I support her because you're both going through a hard time. That's what I you think can that. Do. Yeah. And I think that it's if you down the line getting to a new relationship, it's very important to not demonize your past partner with your new partner. Yeah. And that's a sign of something unhealthy if you only can talk about the negative in that last relationship. Of course, you probably don't want to hear about like just how great the last partner was all the time, but. I think that there's a certain fairness and compassion and and just reverence that is important to maintain because you probably weren't in it for so long if there weren't some great things about it. Yeah. And you learned a lot together and you gave each other, you know, the most precious thing that you have, which is your time. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I think you you need to see that as sacred and if you're if you're getting into a relationship with someone who's who's pissing on their former partners they're going to be pissing on you someday you know there's very high probability unless you're into that kind of thing yeah well you know <laughs> here's hoping uh i heard um i heard a line once every every uh person in a relationship should thank the ex-partner because that was how and, and every person in a good relationship should thank the last partner because that's where your guy or your girl learned those lessons. Right. And I think that that goes back to like, you know, what you talk about, how often our 20s are seen as the best time in our lives when really it's often in the hardest because you're blundering through all of these hard won lessons and failing most of the time fucking blowing it doing things that you have to look in your at yourself in the mirror for and be like whoa i'm never gonna do that again like i whew, i've tried i tried that out that's not for me it's so often it's in our 20s that we gain any sense of of virtue and why virtue is so deeply important to hold with us because we feel you know the long tail of misery that is a, that can be attached to poor actions um i think that that's i mean for me that's what i that's what i learned you know in my 20s a lot of it was about what not to do and why it's not worth it to do it yeah it's like learning to drive don't learn to drive in a fancy new car yeah <laughs> 
you know, because you're going to fucking scratch it up and dent it and, you know, drive away with the parking brake on. I mean, you're going to fuck it up. So uh, that's just the way it is. And I think that's why we need to have a lot of compassion for our partners in those early relationships, because they're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. Of course, you're going to make a mess and hurt each other. That's that's just the way it works. So how do you how do you delineate between what are unchangeable parts of yourself and what are uh, little things that your partner may ask you to do that you then say like, oh, shit, I'll work on that. Uh, that's it. I know that's a tendency that I have uh, that I want to soften. Um, like, here's an example from me. Um, I, I know that humor and irreverent and, and even taboo ideas for me are incredibly important. And I get a lot of energy when I can explore those ideas freely. And I will not ever be with a partner that tries to limit my uh, enthusiasm for ideas that could be embarrassing or scary because that just feels like a fundamental part of my mm. soul's experience here on earth is just checking that shit out and and being free to explore. Yeah. I also have a tendency to give feedback that is more blunt than I intend it to be. And that can sometimes hurt my partner's feelings. And I I think it often comes from the fact that I can be very blunt with myself. So I just will say something that I would say to myself that hurts her feelings. And she's communicated that to me and I... And I don't want to make her feel that way. So it's something I'm very much willing to work on. And if I'm offering feedback to her, there is there, there I recognize there are softer ways to do it. And it's something I'm actively um, engaged in. So for you, how do you delineate between what is a fundamental part of your personality that you that is immovable and you probably couldn't change it if you tried while constantly being committed to growing in the ways that make it a happier union. Yeah, that's uh that's an interesting thing to try to think about. I I think um I feel like intention is so important and um all these I feel like practically anything is forgivable except bad intentions. So, you know, anything done with good intention, it, no matter how colossally it, it colossal a disaster it turns out to be is forgivable because she, she didn't want to hurt me. She, she wasn't trying to hurt me, you know? And um, so I feel like, I try to be very focused on the cleanliness of my intentions 
and then secondarily on the execution of whatever it is I did. So in your case, you know, your example, okay, you gave the feedback that was um, hurtful because it was, you know, a little blunt and maybe you could have couched it uh, more gracefully. And um, as long as you know your intention was positive and she knows that, then I feel like the relationship will grow in a way where you'll be a little more careful about that stuff and she'll be a little less sensitive about that stuff because she knows where you're coming from is a place of, I totally love you and support you and think you're fucking awesome and you asked me what I thought and I told you and okay, it was a little harsh maybe, Um, But that's because from my perspective, you would never question my love for you based on the fact that these cookies were undercooked, you know, it's like, it didn't even occur to me that you could think that, you know, because I'm so fucking into you. Right. I, I feel like that's, that's the, those are the two currents that kind of are swirling together, you know, and Yeah, I mean, like you, I can be harsh, I can make a joke that wasn't fucking funny and and was kind of biting. And um, but I feel like when I see someone's face change, you know, someone I love and I'm very resonant with, and then I hear what I just said, I feel shitty enough that I will dial that back, you know, and that's maybe the only way that I'll dial it back. I'm not going to dial it back. If someone just says, you know, sometimes your jokes aren't that funny. Like, yeah, fuck you. Neither are yours. You know, (laughs) like I'm totally uh, armored against that. But if I see like, Oh, I just hurt somebody that I love someone who never hurts me like intentionally. Fuck. Yeah. That feels bad. So I think there's just, I feel like, you know, St. Augustine has has this great line where he said, you know, people were asking him for advice and how to do, what should I do? What should I do? And he said, you know, bottom line, love and do as you please. Right. So like if you're, I, I feel like there's, you know, the primary thing to look at is, are you acting out of love? Are you sincerely, truly acting out of love? And it's easy to lie to ourselves about that, right? Like, oh, I did it for your own good. Hey, you really needed to hear that. But actually, I'm just an asshole playing a power trip on you and distracting from my own insecurities. You know, like, I think you need to be really diligent and vigilant. And um, another word that ends in ent, I can't think of it right now, but, you know, Jesse Jackson would have it. Fuck diligent vigilant and fraudulent Compass- no. compassionate that doesn't rhyme no diligent Compass- vision diligent vigilant compassionate no, no. that's the end in ng mm. or nt what nt, yeah. NT compassionate no that's at at god Int. oh yeah same shit yeah and well to to the point of like a reverence i think that you and i probably just i think that's why we're friends in large part is that we like finding what figuring out what that line is and hanging out with people who also do too it inevitably leads to moments of hurt feelings but it's a hell of a lot better than living a life tiptoeing around 
So that's yeah. what I I think we just yeah to be willing to ah shit that was harsh and I'm I'm sorry about that and it's a hell of a lot freer than being so fucking morally concerned that you can never uh exhale and make a joke at all right and it, and it also you know it's sort of a natural process by which people are are winnowed out for better or worse right i mean there are people i, I ran into this a lot when i was living in canada I, in in vancouver you know i would just tell some story and then later someone would be like oh you know you really hurt so-and-so's feelings or you know that that wasn't really appropriate i mean canadians I understand why, like, the really funny ones come to the States, because in Canada, it's like, Jesus Christ, you people are so soft. You're so fucking fluffy and <laughs> afraid of offending each other. Like, how do you play hockey? I don't understand this culture. <laughs> I mean, I was just offending people left and right. I, I was like, I didn't even think I was in, like, the danger zone. Like, you guys, you think that's offensive? Holy shit, you should come over on a Saturday night. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I just think you know, there, there are certain, there are women who would just be totally not, not comfortable with some of the shit that you and I just love to talk about, you know, and just going into those forbidden zones. Like, but there are women who are totally into it and think it's hilarious and cool and love to be there. So again, it's it's not a judgment. It's just. That's why I tell people like get your non-negotiables out on the table right away. The first date. Don't fucking wait to the 10th time you're together to say, by the way, I don't really like your dog. Like, no, if you don't like the dog, like just your dog's ugly. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Is it okay if I say your dog's ugly? And if she's like, no, then great. See you next time. Like, I'm out of here. But you got yeah. an ugly dog, and a lot of beautiful women have fucking ugly dogs. I don't know why. Makes them feel more beautiful. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Even on my bad days. All right. So we've been talking for an hour and a half, man. And I got to go do shit, and you got to do shit. And we haven't covered, like, even... Have the Canejo covered... or the the so Mexico story I just reported just got and, and learning Spanish. Estás uh, aprendiendo español? ¿Qué pasa? Un, po, un poco, un poco. Necesito aprender, aprendo más, pero practicar mucho. Practicas mucho. Yeah. Que, tre, tres frases cada día. Sí, sí, tres frases en, cuál, en la mañana son... con con café. Cinco, min cinco minutos por día uh -huh. con, con mi novia. ¿Y cuál? Uh, ¿Ella habla español? Sí. Ah, sí. Vale. Y practicar mucho. Um, but uh, here, so here, final final thought on this, and then we'll we'll uh, go take do a long urination. Um, so I I recently uh, went down to Mexico and reported a story for Patagonia. Um, so as I sort of alluded to at the beginning of this, this ramble with my talks, I've, I've worked with Patagonia for many years. They sponsored me as a surfer and 
it allowed me to get more into journalism and writing because they provided an outlet for me to do it. They they would allow me to go on these surf trips and they'd say, hey, report on some environmental story while there and we'll uh, share it through all of our channels and put it on our blog and that kind of thing. Um, and I've found that... So I just went down to a place called Salina Cruz, Mexico, um, which ha- is home to some of the best waves in the world. It's down in southern Oaxaca. And there's a port that's being proposed at this one wave. It would fucking destroy the wave and the surrounding mangroves. And that story to me is... It's like, it's kind of, okay, that's just going to make you feel bad. Uh, People aren't really going to want to read this story. Um, But there was a guy there who I met named Uriel Camacho, who's a a local in Selena Cruz, who... Selena Cruz is kind of a newly discovered surf zone. And while growing up there, he um, had never seen surfers. He taught himself how to swim learned to body surf and thought he invented the sport. (laughs) He thought he invented body surfing. And then when he was 18, he took a bus up to Puerto Escondido, uh, which is four hours North where there are surfers and body surfers. He went down to the beach and he's like, Hey, they're doing my sport. They're doing my sport. He buys a, a 1970s single fin surfboard from some flea market in Mexico, takes it back down to Selena Cruz learns how to surf on these points with no one around except his friends. They're all just trading off on this one surfboard. And then uh, maybe 15 years ago, the place blows up and now it's one of these major surf destinations. And he runs one of the surf camps there and and he's fighting this project. Um, and this may in some strange way tie into to breakups and, and how... Um, figuring out what the story of your life and your relationship and those breakups is going to be is immensely important. That kind of narrative, how you craft the narrative, Mm. I think really determines your happiness and your, your power and whether or not you see your life through the lens of victimhood or, or resilience. And for me, when I go on these surf trips, um, if I'm just going surfing, there's no story at the end of it. It's just all these experiences that I forget very quickly. And conversely, when I go on a trip and I report a story like this and I'm doing a profile piece on this guy and every day I'm looking for these little detailed moments that can help craft the story and cobble it together I am positive that I will look back on my life and see these times that I was out reporting as some of the best times in my life because I'm I'm looking at everything through a keener sense of detail and I'm I'm walking around with my little notebook writing shit down and then I come back and write the story and I I think that it's a real great um tool for happiness and just noticing more is to kind of see yourself like a reporter Mm. whenever you're doing anything 
and be writing down these little details um, to craft a story that serves your psychology and and your life. Um, yeah, and I just I do that more and more now. I just kind of go through the day thinking about how would I report on this, mm-hmm. and I find that I enjoy the day immensely more and it doesn't need to be in a, a fucking exciting story where you're traveling down to mexico you just read it read a few chapters out of a david sedaris book like he is just writing about an average day in such a and a, a from such a place of humor and observation yeah that it makes it really uh exciting and so it's it's just a it's a lesson that i've kind of learn and take into that I has, has helped me a lot. You uh, remind me of, of listening to you talk about hunting, the increased attention to detail, the focus, the sort of loss of ego or, or, you know, self, self, I don't want to say self-awareness. It's not really that, but like, the the you're you're focused outward you're you're looking on what's around you what's happening who's saying what and what expression is on their face and what what details would i pick out of this you know to to put together a compelling narrative yeah it's it's so important how we interact with the world and almost less important what the world gives us to interact with you know it's yeah it's interesting when you're taking notes it's it's impossible to have the thought, oh God, I'm such a fucking loser. Just so, so incessantly self the self-narrative, right? I've oh my life is shit. I'm not doing what I should be doing. And it, none of those thoughts are helpful. And it's it's so hard to to just stop those thoughts, but redirecting them to a a sense of journalism about your day and, and reporting on what's happening around you is a, it's a, it's a good little sleight of hand trick to um, enjoyment. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, sort of circling back around to this thing about breakups and, and the difficulty of, of being in your twenties and, and all, all that kind of stuff. I feel like people need and only experience can teach you this, I guess, but I feel like, you know, uh, I don't know how to express this properly, but, but it's almost like when you're young, you've got this incredible sense of grandiosity combined with an incredible feeling of inadequacy. Right. And so those two things, it's almost like they need to be the same weight in order to be balanced. And I feel like, at least in my experience, as I got older, the grandiosity and the inadequacy both lessened and, you know, eventually got to the point where you find peace. And the peace is, I don't fucking matter. I don't. None of us do. And there's this incredible liberation in that because that means I don't have any real responsibility to save the world, to change things, to write the great book, 
to, you know, whatever the fuck it is, whatever list of grand accomplishments that you thought you had to like strike, you know, in your life. Who gives a fuck? Nobody gives a fuck. You're made out of dirt and you're just going to return to dirt, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. So, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like the 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 key maybe to getting beyond that stuff is for every time you or someone thinks, oh, my life is shit or I'm such a loser to recognize the narcissism in that. You know what I mean? It's like, who gives a fuck? Really? Who gives a fuck about any of this? And I know that sounds harsh and demeaning, but it actually isn't because it because the more you can diminish the grandiosity the less sense of inadequacy you feel, you know, compensatory inadequacy or whatever. Um, you yeah, know, I'm, I feel like I, let go, go of it. both of them. That's the only yeah. way you let go of them both simultaneously. Yeah. I I remember watching the Anthony Bourdain documentary and he said there was a point where the fame was just insane. And he said uh, the perfect episode would be one without me in it and it's just the the world through my eyes just perspective and and i they said towards the end he would go to these places like the saharan desert where it was just so not about him and i think that that's it speaks exactly to what you're talking about and why fame is so hard is because it just it feeds that grandiosity and it feeds that every feeds everything that comes along right. with it which is why like you it it's seriously hard to not get fucked up by fame unless maybe it happens to you way way later in life when those two forces have converged into something that's more stable yeah i think you're right and i mean and anthony bourdain like jesus there's a guy who didn't know how to handle a breakup you know what the fuck dude it doesn't matter it doesn't fucking matter you know uh, the, the idea that I'm nothing without you, that is just such bullshit. You know, if you're nothing without her, then you were nothing with her. Um, and, you know, yeah, Anthony Bourdain, Jesus Christ, patron saint of super cool shithead. Fuck, dude. Don't kill yourself over a woman. I just heard a story yesterday about a kid like i was just hanging out with these guys and they told me a story about this really nice kid that they were working with 17 years old super smart full scholarship to college you know really like earnest great kid and he had a girlfriend he really loved his girlfriend and she went on some trip and she fucked some guy and the, he fucking hanged himself oh like come on Ugh. yeah yeah, you know, last last little thought on this uh, break episode, uh, um, this break episode that we're, we've been gotten cold water, man, <laughs> fucking cold water. When you're in the yeah. throes of something hard that yeah. where you can't you can't it, the intellectual part of your brain can't get out of these thought patterns physically hurling yourself into a cold body of water that is more powerful than those thoughts is 
healing. And I remember going, you know, on that trip, I would I would park Starflight by these cold rivers and I would wake up early in the morning feeling so fucking sad. And I would force myself to run out into these rivers and I would plunge myself underwater and I would grab one of those big cobblestone rocks and I would just let my legs go. And the only thing that was holding on was my hands on this cobblestone rock in this freezing cold water. Well, that's how Wim Hof got into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. His wife killed herself. And the only way he could stop thinking about it was to be in freezing cold water. Yeah. 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 That's fucking rough. All right, brother. That's enough bonus content, I would say. These people got their $5 worth this month. (laughs) Or they're or they're gonna they're gonna ask for all their money back. One <laughs> of the two. No refunds. I told you, no refunds. All right, I'm gonna stop recording. Thank you, brother. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. He said, "Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day." For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation to the ground.